Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I'm your host, James, and today we're diving straight into an action-packed weekend of Premier League football. Titans clash at the Etihad as Liverpool and Manchester City reached a stalemate. But it wasn't just about the former top two. The weekend gifted us with moments of sheer brilliance, including a stunning goal of the year candidate. And while speaking of stunning, we also have to mention Aston Villa's snatch and grab victory in North London. So whether you're sipping your morning coffee or winding down the evening, get ready for an episode packed with analysts, insights, and more from this past weekend's Premier League action. As always, we start off with who's on top of the table in orders from one, two, three, and it would, of course, be Arsenal, Manchester City, and Liverpool, as we always mention who's at the top of the table at every episode. Right, Sean? Yep, of course. That's 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 the standard behavior. I did text my cousin before the before we hopped on, and I said over under times James references Arsenal being top of the table at three and a half. He said smash the over, smash it. So <laughs> I was expecting nothing less. We didn't even get thirty seconds in before you mentioned it. Yeah, we didn't get thirty seconds in until I went off script and just went right into it. <laughs> but of course, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk less about Arsenal and more about that marquee matchup of the weekend, which was Liverpool versus Manchester City, which I will right now say was probably one of the better games that I've ever seen two Titans, as you mentioned before, squaring off in what could be one of the greatest title races we have with the teams that are per- that are in form currently. But before we dive into that action, we always start with some hot news. And uh, Sean, why don't you lead us on this week? Yeah, started on a little bit of a somber note. Uh, Terry Venables passed away at the age of 80 over the weekend. Um, He's a a Tottenham legend. He played for them in the 60s uh, as well as managed them during the 80s and the 90s. Um, He was nicknamed El Tel. He was uh, a manager at Barcelona, won La Liga, which uh, was their, you know, when they won in 1984 was their first title in over 11 years. He won an FA Cup with Spurs, which, I mean, that just tells you how great of a manager he is. He won a trophy with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and then he also led England to the semifinals of the of Euro 96. Obviously, this was a guy well before you and I's time. However, hmm. just, you know, reading about him and, and listening to testimonials from guys like Pep Guardiola, uh, from Gary Neville, and from some others, they talked about him being, you know, a great man manager, a steward of the game, and also someone who was, you know, very much ahead of his time from a tactical standpoint. Um, he was known for being able to to change systems, you know, both mid-game and also from game to game, um, and and incorporated a lot of ideas that are now, you know, rampant throughout the way, you know, football is played today, uh, specifically inverting fullbacks, um, uh, as well as using wingbacks and, and things like that. So, um, he's he's obviously a titan of the game and someone that will be missed. Uh, very cool moment on Sunday, I believe it was before the Tottenham uh, Villa game. They had a moment of applause for him, and it was you know really cool to see and and well deserved. So, um, just Absolutely. wanted to send our thoughts and prayers to his family, of course. You know, it's always incredible when you see the you know we see a lot of the names now or the players or the ex players and ex managers you know, getting honored at the beginning of games now. And you, you have to then kind of think about, oh, was I even around when there? But just to put it in retrospect, I think he was the one manager right before everyone kind of knows that David Beckham had his first England cap in 1996. So this is right, 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 right before him even then. So pretty impressive uh, kind of slate for him. But on a kind of more spectacular and less somber note, we do have Kyle will be joining us at some point, but we obviously have to start off with something that was absolutely smoking hot, and that is what would be Kyle and I think everyone's goal of the week, season slash season slash possibly decade. And my lord, this thing for Alejandro Garnacho. Oh my Lanta, Sean. Oh my word, this thing was incredible. And for you who don't know, this was the opener within two minutes of the Everton, much-anticipated Everton versus Man United game. And this was very anticipated because of the 10-point deduction for Everton. We thought this would be coming out a, a blazing hot trail of fire for Everton. And unfortunately, when Garnacho puts a spectacular bicicleta goal in the back <laughs> of the net within the first two minutes, all hopes for Everton for any form of reprieve was gone. This was Wayne Rooney versus Man City times two. It was 
up there with Ronaldo's bicycle kicks. This was one of the most impressive goals I have. It probably the most impressive goal I have seen live watching on an EPL Saturday or Sunday morning, rather. This was yesterday morning. And my God, if you guys have not YouTubed this, you're going to want to put on loop before you go to bed at night because it was incredible. I mean, my I was speechless, Sean. What was your reaction to this goal? I mean, I, I keep thinking the weekend before when when they lost and when did they what, did they lose the weekend before Everton? Uh, or? No, no, it was it was their Champions League matchup against uh, Copenhagen. Yep. And Garnacho was running to the Copenhagen sideline. Obviously, was away at Copenhagen, shushing the crowd. Yeah. I'm like, this guy hasn't done anything. Like, what are you doing, my friend? And then he goes this weekend, puts away the most impressive goal I've seen live. I'm like, oh, damn it! Now he can kind of go ahead and shush whoever he wants. I mean, what, what do you? Where's your head at with this thing, man? Yeah, that that was incredible. I remember just throwing that game on, like our boy Blake said last week. Um, that was his lock of the week, and I was I was riding it. I thought I thought Everton was going to pull it out. I I took uh, Villa and Everton on Sunday morning. You know, started off real nice with with Villa taking the W, and I'm like, all right, here we go. We're cooking. Two minutes in, just as good of a, an overhead kick as you'll see, um, just strikes it sweet as a nut into the back of the net, and. It just completely drained all the energy out of out of the crowd. I think Peter Drury was on commentary. He was like, "I've never heard Gladys Street end this quiet because you know Goodison can get crazy." They were fired up for that game. It certainly was, you know, at the beginning, the very start of kickoff. They were they were bumping, but um, yeah, that that shut down the crowd real real quick. And I I think it's for me probably the best goal I've ever seen live in the Premier League. Um, oh yeah, just out of curiosity, I I threw this in there, but. What do, what do you think, you know, what comes to mind to you? Is, is is that the best one that you've seen live? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm, like, showing people. I showed Julia, like, you got to look at this goal. And she was <laughs> speechless. She was like, oh, my God. If anyone ever says that soccer is an easier sport, you just show them something that like goal. that. And and, and it, it's, it's just incredible what these – professional athletes are able to do whether it's taking control of a million mile per hour hit driven across field pass touching it within one inch of their own foot or doing an acrobatic aerial gift like our nacho this weekend but it this one's definitely probably the best premier league goal i've seen live if i had to be biased and let's say we never saw Garnacho's goal, and I, and I'm glad I did. I'd probably have to say last season's Reese Nelson volley from on top of the box at the at the dying embers was one of the most incredible goals I've seen. Just a pure moment, and the fact that it was for the win, great technique. But you know, you you have to kind of put that one up there with Jack Wilshere's Arsenal team goal versus Norwich uh, many many years ago. Just the beauty of the game comes out, and and like Kyle says, the the most entertaining part of the game yeah as nick as our boy nick said from a couple weeks ago you're just waxing poetic about the game right now you just love <laughs> uh, you go bonita um but while we're on the subject of beautiful things i i think we can talk about something that you'll definitely agree with the aston villa 2-1 victory over tottenham at tottenham stadium on sunday morning like we you know just talked about a few seconds ago just to me quickly it's a story of what happens when you don't take your chances because I remember you and I were texting on Sunday about this. We kept saying, you know, Spurs looks re really good. Um, our friend Tom, who was a big, big Spurs fan was like, Oh, I'm actually going, going golfing right. Or going to MetLife right now. He's a sicko. He's going to walk. <laughs> yeah. It's Patriots. That, that game should have been shown in Gitmo instead of national TV, but I digress, but he wanted updates. So we said, yeah, we're, you know, they're buzzing. They're really creating a lot of chances. And, the thing is, they just didn't put them away, um, especially in the first 45 minutes. I thought they, they their um, passing was on point. They were incisive. You know, they cut through Villa's press really easily and and got mm. in behind and just couldn't convert. Um, and and Villa ended up making them pay for it. But what do you got on this game? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. it, it we were going back and forth, and I couldn't believe it. Every other minute was just offsides goal, offsides goal, offsides goal for both for both teams. Really, Son had a hat trick of offside goals, which was <laughs> incredible to even say. But I have to give it to Spurs with a depleted roster that they had. They put up a really good showing against a very strong and informed Unai Emery squad with Villa. I think the biggest thing for me was exactly that that 
Villa plays this offside trap that is so outrageously high all the time, constantly. And even though they were getting beat, they in the league have pulled the teams they playing offsides the most out of anyone. And it shows really strong discipline in the back for Unai Emery's squad, which is extremely impressive. And going against a team with Son, Kuliseski, and Brendan Johnson on the wing with pace is a very dangerous thing to do. If Son was two inches further back on the pitch, he's got three legitimate goals. And it, it, it could be a very, very strong battle. But this kind of goes back to the good old Barca days where they said, yeah, you can score two, three goals against me, but I'm going to score four and five goals against you. Where they're putting a lot of eggs, both teams, Villa and Spurs, putting a lot of eggs in one basket with their ability to score goals. And Ange hasn't shied away from this at all. He's gone from a very sitting back uh, defensive mind in Spurs team to a very forward thinking, high press possession wise team. And it shows. I mean, the first half, they had 64% possession. They had 1.19 expected goals and seven total shots, three of them on target. Villa, though, on the other hand, did outdo them on big chances created with three, and they had very little momentum in that first half. I think this game, you play it five more times, and I think they might split, you know, with the current roster. I think this was just happened to be that the ball wasn't rolling Spurs' way, and obviously the the flag was, you know, being lifted a bit too much time, too much for them. But it really puts in an incredible top six position for the Premier League now with Villa and Spurs swapping places. Um, I think we kind of called it a little bit earlier, about two or three weeks ago, when all the injuries happened and suspensions happened during Chelsea, that Spurs are in for quite a bit of a bumpy ride moving forward. Well, the good thing for them is they don't have a tough game or anything coming up. Oh, oh, wait, actually, they're coming. Kind of like <laughs> Sorry, I got that backwards. Yeah, but I it's mean, okay. it's, they always win that. It's it. That's true. Um, just two two other things before we wrap up here. I wanted to mention that uh, Rodrigo Benton core was injured, which is a big loss for Spurs. He was really, um, to me, the best player for, for the first 40 minutes or however long he was on before his injury. Um, and he's just coming back from an ACL tear as well. So it's really unfortunate to see that. Hope he's back to, you know, to full fitness very shortly because, um, he's a really exciting player. He, he was creating, you know, both with his dribbling ability, um, and also with his long passing at a couple of chances that he created in behind. Um, so yeah, he'll definitely be missed for Spurs who are already without Madison. So now you're losing another creative, you know, cog in your team. And that brings me to the second point, which I thought was interesting was Dejan Kulisevsky actually played as an eight in this game on the right-hand side. Um, yep. so he's typically obviously more of a, a more of a winger. Um, uh, but I thought his, you know, his ball progression with his dribbling ability was, um, very interesting. And obviously we'll see if he can, you know, maintain you know have the, the dead defensive capabilities those will definitely be tested particularly against city um in the middle of the park but it's an interesting um you know tweak from Ange to put him into the middle of the park with with injuries that they have now um and then they brought in brian heel on on the left wing who i thought you know had a pretty solid game as well created a couple chances and um uh, should have had an assist son just missed a straight up header right across the the six yard box but um, that one will be interesting. They will get Basuma back for the city game, which will help. He missed his game due to suspension. Um, mm -hmm. But finally, got to talk about Ali Watkins. Uh, scores once again his seventh of the year, set up by your boy Tielemans. But you know what? Do you, what else do you have on this game? Well, I mean, I think one thing you mentioned about Watkins is that he's becoming a really, really great striker in the Premier League. And if you watch that goal on the top of the box, a great great ball from Tielemans too, which he's been seeing the field a little bit more often. And I think you will see him on the field a little bit more often, especially with December, with the amount of games that are coming up. So I think it's the right time to introduce him if he's if if you're Unai Emery. But the quick one two, great touch to keep it really close in front, but just outside enough of his foot to pull the trigger quickly. This was just like a strike that we see Holland do with Man City very, very often. It gives no reaction time for Vicario, who has been an outstanding goalkeeper for the entire season so far, and just beats him hard and low on the ground. Great strike from Watkins. One of the biggest things for me for this game was you saw Diaby starting on top, which is incredible skill and, sp and pace and speed. And he came out towards, I think, at halftime for... Uh, Bailey 
who is as equally as pacey and sometimes as equally as entertaining. And it just goes to show that Villa have these options and Unai Emery has always been a good substitution coach and he's using this very, very wisely. I think this game is a great uh, showcase that Villa is not going anywhere anytime soon. And I believe this is the first time that they're 13 games into the season in the top four since 97 or 2000, like a early, while ago. Yeah, early 2000s with Martin O'Neill. They were definitely, you know, towards the top half of the table. Um, but yeah, they, they're for real. We, t- we I think you asked me a couple weeks ago whether I thought them or, or I think Kyle did, them or Newcastle would finish higher. And I did pick Villa. Um, and, and I think a big part of that is because of the manager. Um, Emery's just such a good coach, man. Like you talked about, very disciplined with that high line that they play. Um, They're always going to be compact when they do get pressed into their own box. Um, And then also from a, from a counterattacking standpoint, they have good patterns. They, you know, quickly create through teams and and get through the gears and create chances with the pace of Diaby with Bailey with Watkins. Um, And then also on set pieces, they're dangerous as well. And we saw that with, you know, their first goal through Pau Torres. So Douglas Louise ball in, he just runs right into the middle of the box, bullet header. Um, so, you know, all credit to, to Unai Emery. I think, um, you know, certainly one of the – probably the coach of the year favorite right now with with Tottenham cooling off a little bit. Yeah. One thing I will say with Villa is if you look at their place on the table, obviously top four, on away games, they're 10th. So this was a massive win for them away at a very difficult place to go. And if you go to their home standings, their first place, they have played six at home, they have won six at home, and they have the greatest goal differential only to be one, two more, three more, I'm sorry, goals than Villa. I'm sorry, Liverpool, uh, who would be second in home. So really impressive showing. Yeah, and the only thing to mention about that is they have, that that home record is about to be put to the test in the coming weeks. Mm. Um, They go away to Bournemouth this weekend, but then they have City at home and Arsenal at home. So that'll definitely be tested. We'll see if they can remain there. But uh, Villa Park, definitely not an easy place to go play. And uh, speaking of parks that are very difficult to go to, have to throw it over to Newcastle United. Just stomped out Chelsea 4-1 to this weekend. Uh, 2.36 XG to 0.53. You know, they were a depleted Newcastle side. There was a lot of, you know, question marks about, you know, what would the lineup look like? How could they cope against a top, you know, top level team? And they just responded in dominant fashion with what I would just, you know, deem a drubbing. Um, yeah. But what did you see about this game? What were your thoughts? The, the first thought is always the starting lineup that goes out. And I was, you can't see how close my fingers are together through the headphones that you're currently listening to. But, oh, they were so close. I was so close to texting you saying, We've been kind of talking about the depleted Newcastle for a while, and I'm looking at the lineup. I'm like, they really don't have a bad start starting lineup at all. Their only one that was semi-different or really interesting is obviously uh, Lu- uh, Louise Miley, who is 17 years old, playing at the number, I guess, kind of 10 position, really, on that right side, right behind Almiron and next to Gumaris. But other than that, the depth that they have been able to create over the past two seasons without being able to have to pour in so much money is really impressive from Newcastle. I mean, their defensive lineup there is still spot on with Char, uh, Lascelles, Trippier, and then uh, Livramento, who, you know, is another one that kind of is like just like that with Miley that I wasn't expecting to be out there. But I think we called it last week. Izak being back on the roster, healthy from his hamstring, was a great take. Uh, he had a very early goal in that, but I think we both agree here that the the star of the show was Anthony Gordon. Uh, Gordon, I mean, he's proving time in time again. He had a goal and assist today, and and played a part in the first goal as well. And they got Reese Nelson, uh, Reese James sent off towards the second half. In the second half, I mean, he is really proving to be a great pickup from last year at the age of 22. At the moment, he's in the 83rd percentile for shots taken, 87th percentile for on target, and 91 on non-penalty goals, which are higher than both Phil Foden and my true only fan, Saka, to just put some large names out there. I think one of the only players on the winger side that is having a better season than Anthony Gordon right now is Salah. And Salah arguably is probably the best player in the Premier League other than Holland right now. So it's, it's high praise for Gordon. And, you know... This game, to me, 
was very difficult to watch after the Liverpool-Man City game because specifically on the Chelsea side, for me, it was a lot of individual play. The week before when they kicked the shit out of... um, uh, Not kicked the shit out of them, kept up with Man City 4-4. It was a lot of inter-team play. They looked like they were finally becoming one cohesive unit. And this week it was Sterling was on his own. Palmer was on his own. Uh, Gallagher didn't have the presence that he had the week prior to it. It was just a lot of individual play, and it didn't look cohesive or very flow to me. Other than that, you know, I think it did take Newcastle a little bit of time to get into it, and I think if it was someone else playing them, like a Liverpool or an Arsenal or a Manchester City, they would have been in trouble. Yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely fair. I think um, overall, though, it, you know, deserve result for them and I just I had a funny stat because you mentioned Lewis Miley before he's the youngest player to ever have a goal contribution in the Premier League and the sixth youngest sister in Premier League history Thiago Silva who played in this game for Chelsea was had already made 79 professional appearances before Lewis Miley was born he was four years into his pro career before Lewis Miley was born that (laughs) is wild bro um, yep. And something you just mentioned, you talked about Livermento playing at left back. We forgot to mention it last week or didn't didn't realize Lewis Hall was unable to play in this game because he's a Chelsea loanee officially, that's even right. though it's a loan to buy. So that's why Livermento had to play left back. He does have that versatility to play right or left back coming over from Southampton. Um, and he was solid in this game. Um, like you said, obviously, Isak opened the scoring. If if Garnacho did not score the goal that he did, we would be talking more about Raheem Sterling's free kick in this game. Absolutely. Or just goal up and over the wall. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of quickly fell apart in the second half for Chelsea. Uh, first was was the, the LaSalle's goal off of Gordon Cross, and then the second one was like almost instantly off of you know the restart. Uh, I think Cole Palmer kicks it back to Silva, who just kind of gets it caught in his feet. And then yeah. Joel Linton just runs in and buries it. And that was pretty much it. That that killed the game off right there. Um, and if it hadn't, then 10 minutes later, Reese James gets sent off. And and that really killed the game off from there. I mean, Chelsea just didn't have any avenue to get back. Um, and I don't know if my narrative uh, about Trent being better than Reese James has ever had more fuel than, than Saturday morning. Because yeah. Trent's goal, and then Reese James gets a stupid-ass yellow for kicking the ball away and then turns the ball over and just football tackles uh, Anthony Gordon and gets sent off. And it's like another game for for uh, Reese James not being available. Yeah, I don't think he ever wants to play more than 10 games a season. It must be like he's probably got like an internal clock that says, I'm getting a little bit too close to the double digits here. I got to do something. He must be sick to his stomach when he sees the December fixtures roll out. He's like, oh, my God, <laughs> twice a week, twice a week. <laughs> I wonder if he has the same relationship with his sister as Neymar does. I wonder if there's a correlation <laughs> there. Uh, Although his sister she plays actually more games plays. Than he yeah, does. She's got something going on. <laughs> she's she's playing every week. It's um, true. It's true. And I, I got a question for you, um, sure, uh, Sean, because it's kind of like a lukewarm uh, take on my end. Cole Palmer, he was pretty much invisible in this game. I think he's got a lot of potential. Do you think that he is? the tried-and-true right-winger for Chelsea moving forward, or do you think this is another experiment that they have to toy around with? No, it's it's hard to say. And I, again, I know we've talked, you and I have talked about this a million times at this point. It's hard to say what Chelsea's going to look like two months from now because Nkuku will come back and will change things. And I think specifically for Palmer, um, that'll take a lot of pressure off him. He won't be res- you know responsible to be the guy. Um, in terms of scoring goals, and I think he can be a little bit more of of an assister. Um, yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. I think he, you know, can float in and out of games. He's not as influential as he, as he can be. You know, coming off a great performance against his old team in City, definitely not his best today. But I, or I should say yesterday, excuse me. Um, but I, I do, I do think that he's, you know, one of their best players, and and will continue to be when when Kunku gets back. I think what is it's almost like a four two two two. Where you have the back four, um, Enzo and Caicedo, mm-hmm. and then it would be like Sterling and him in Cuckoo and Jackson, or you can put Gallagher in, in there in that in that second set of two and 
So I I don't know. Pochettino will play around with it, but no, I I still think he's he can be a great player for for City. Yeah, you think they could go to a four three a four three three? It's it's hard to say. That gives that gives and Cuckoo that attacking role while you can have Gallagher play a little bit more of the of the I guess the the six or the eight. I'm sorry, you put Gallagher. My apologies. You put Gallagher as the the ten essentially, and then you have Cuckoo maybe going up top. Yeah, I, but then but then you run into the conundrum of who's like who who are you taking out of the lineup from the the hundred million dollar guys you have in midfield? Are you benching Caicedo? Are you benching Fernandez? I mean, mm. it's a good problem to have, but I just think they don't have a you know consistent starting eleven, and we probably won't know what it looks like until Nkunku comes back. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see you know where they go from here. It feels like every time we're we're ready to to deem Chelsea back, they immediately have a shit loss. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, they they're sitting. Let's see here. They're, I think six they're points away from eighth. They're in tenth right now. Oh, they're in they're tenth. four. Sorry, they're four sorry. points behind West Ham at ninth, which is you know kind of equal competition. But I think on a good day, Chelsea can really. I, it, every time I look at the table, seeing Manchester United at six, I know it's off topic here. It just doesn't feel right. But what, you think they I, should be I higher? Think, I think they should be lower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, man. They, they Like we talked about with, with Blake last week, they're a week away from crisis consistently. Um, we're going to find out real soon what they're made of, though. In the next month, they have games against Newcastle away. They have Chelsea at home. They play Liverpool away. I'll be there for that. No big deal. Uh, and then they play, <laughs> they play West Ham away and then Villa at home. That's all within the next 29 days. So that is going to dictate what type of season they have. There's no Casemiro for those games. There's no Lissandra Martinez for those games. If they can, you know, cobble together a, a few wins in there, then yeah. But at the same time, we could be looking at them in, in a whole different light this time, you know, a month from now. I think even then after that, just a little foreshadowing we'll talk about later on, but can you believe it? We're already almost at the January transfer window. Yeah, I mean, we were literally starting December right now, which is absolutely insane. And with how tight, these races are whether it be for european play or the title i think we're going to see a crazy transfer window i know january transfer window was even crazier than the year before that for last year so really looking forward to that kind of um action in a little bit of a lull but one thing that definitely didn't have any lull i'm not sure if kyle will be able to jump on while we go through this but we can at least get the liverpool side of the action here and that would be the Manchester City-Liverpool marquee matchup that ended in 1-1 at Etihad, which, as you noted here, Klopp side is the first team to stop Man City winning at home since Everton in December 2022, ending a 23-match winning run for City. Really impressive right off the bat. Let's start with your first impressions and just your take on the game and whether or not you're satisfied with a 1-1 or you felt that you had some opportunities to take this or you're you know excited that you ran away with a point here yeah no i think um city was certainly the better team particularly through the first 30 or 35 minutes of this game so i mean you can listen to last week's episode i picked liverpool to lose the game um i like i said i just don't think you can go into to the etihad confident you're going to walk out with three points or even a point um so yeah i was happy with the result i think city probably you know on the balance of play certainly deserved to win their pressing especially in the first half was top-notch um, they put the back line under a lot of stress and constantly were turning over the ball. I mean, you you talked about it, you know, separately with me, said they were on every every first and second ball, or second and third ball, excuse me. City was there gobbling it up. Uh, Bernardo Silva was really good. And uh, and Doku, obviously, we have to mention him. He had the most dribbles and completed dribbles in the Premier League match since the, the stats been tracked uh, seven years ago. Um, I do want to say, though, I think that Trent did a really good job of Yes, he was, you know, Doku was making dribbles, but he was constantly pushing him down the line or into traffic. He never got a shot mm. off where it was, like, super dangerous. He had a couple of balls across where, um, you know, that caused problems. But for the most part, I think, you know, they managed him well, knowing, you know, how good he is with, with dribbling and taking guys on. Um, Allison was probably at fault for the first goal, I would say. Um, just not really his best game. And then he also got injured late, so just... All around, really shit, you know, bad 90 minutes from him. But he kind of miskicked it, you know, looking for that outlet pass to Salah like he often does and 
we saw when they actually beat City last year. Um, but he just kind of miskicked it. Ake controlled it, beat a man, and then sent in Holland, who who's opened it up the first goal, um, scoring his 50th goal in 48 games. It's the fastest yep. 50 goals in Premier League history. I know we get tired of talking about how he, he's the fastest to X, Y, and Z every week, but this one's incredible. The, the previous record holder was Andy Cole. He did it in 65 games. Holland did it in 48. That is outrageous. Absolutely smash the living shit out of that one. I mean, like, it is unbelievable. And you're right. We it's, He's breaking a record every week, whether it's in European play or it's in domestic play. The guy is an animal. I do want to go back real quick, only because you mentioned before the Allison mishap. He had Salah, so he had the right idea. Unfortunately, he slipped, obviously. But to me, I would almost put more of the blame on Sobisly and Trent Alexander Arnold, they made Ake look like like Luka Modric in the in in the uh, in the center of the pitch there, slalom style through him at probably a middle schooler's pace. This guy was dribbling the ball with no more vigor than you or I would on a professional pitch, but it just didn't look like they were on their toes for for recovery like that. I I, I won't you know knock it for the center back or the, the the outside back's ability to kind of keep the ball into tight possession and then give Hall in the shot with a with a great pass there. But um I, I think you kinda gotta look at your boy Trent a little bit on that coming down the side, you know, not helping Allison out when in the time of need, but obviously it was just a a, a series of unfortunate events for Liverpool, which ultimately led to a tie and not a win. But I think you said it before, Man City definitely looked like the brighter team. They could have easily gone into the half, you know, 2 nothing. Yep, absolutely. Listen, and and I think, uh, I've, you know, kind of had a similar feeling throughout this year where Liverpool's either dr- drawn or down a goal going into half, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. We'll take that. We'll make our adjustments. We'll make a couple subs, and we'll go from there. And, and I, I think they kind of, you know, bore itself out in this game as well. And just quickly before we talk about a little bit of the turnaround in the second half, I got to get your thoughts on the Ruben Diaz goal that was called out for a foul on Allison by by Manuel Akanji. I'm obviously biased, so I'll, I'll keep my thoughts to myself. But what did you think about that play? I have seen this this type of goal been called back a few times before. Specifically, I'll I'll say it with Arsenal, and it always seems to be with Ben White on a goalie. Uh, we've had some really similar situations where Ben is very close on a corner kick to the goalkeeper. And we put it in the back of the net. I remember last year, Leandro Trossard had a brilliant goal from outside the box. But during the build-up or the punch-out of the play, um, Ben White appeared to have hooked the arm of the goalkeeper, and it was called off. On this occasion, I think it is the victim of what was called on the field. I think the fact that this was called a foul and non-goal on the field resulted in it staying a non-goal on the field. I think if they didn't call it on the field and VAR went to take a look at it, I think they would have said, nope, not enough there, play on. But because this was called a foul on the pitch uh, and not a goal, I think this was was called that way. I think it was a soft call and Liverpool got away with one, but I, I am being non-biased here, I would be, as a third-party spectator, okay with it being called a goal or not a goal. Personally, I probably would have preferred it being called a goal because I think it was soft, but I, I don't see any uh, up in arms. But someone who might clearly disagree with this call actually just walked into the press conference and I think maybe might be a great segue into asking him what he thinks about the goal. Kyle Mansley, how are you today? I'm well, fellas. Thanks for still having me at this late hour. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey. I can just assume you guys have already covered Garnacho's unbelievable wonder strike. We did. Yep. Um, I saw you guys had some notes about best Premier League goals that you guys can remember ever. I got to throw the hat in the ring for Vincent Company 2019 goal to win the Premier League, that volley. Ugh. It wasn't the best goal I've ever seen, but for it to come from a player like Company, that's what makes it special. And the significance of that moment, that. too. Exactly. Yeah, like that so ripped my heart out. That yeah. and Aguero, you could and even throw up not there. Not for an about time. Of any player on the team at that point, I'm most happy it was him. He's put his life into Man City. He deserved it. He deserved to be the captain who had the winning season goal of that quality. But moving on to the Man City Liverpool 
Um, son of a bitch. God damn it. I mean, it's <laughs> so close. Like, just stop Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, the strike from Trent was, I, I'm sure you guys have covered it, but it was the strike of a striker. It was fantastic. It was bottom corner across the body. It's out of the goalie's reach. Really deserved goal. I thought Trent played a great game as well. He was he was very clinical back there for you guys. Um, Holland's goal, I, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift. The, the little errors by Allison, it's very, very rare to see live. He's one of the most consistent and significant keepers in the world right now. If not, I, I would be hard-pressed to find a better keeper right now than Allison. I think he might mm -hmm. be the best in the world. So that's that's definitely a gift at that point from a player of his quality. But, you know, there was a lot of big misses. I watched the the whole game. I mean, the second half, Holland had, what, nine touches? And two of them were almost on our half. It was like, is one of those games. So what did, you, uh, what did you think we were just getting into? Sean asked me what I felt about uh, the Ruben Diaz goal that was ruled out because of a foul by Akanji on Allison. What was foul. your opinion on that? It's a foul, 100%. The ref was consistent throughout the game. I, I would have been one of those cheeky little grins if it wasn't called, and I would have said, all right, I'm not going to talk about this one. But, yeah, I'm not shocked that it was called, and I'm not going to get upset by that it was called. Um, This game, for me, was a very, very big realization of how big of a player Kevin De Bruyne is on the field. Yep. That that was – he was so missed. That – I mean, the, the possession was great. The passing was great. Sure, if you're going from center back to center back to midfielder back to the center backs. But what this team is missing right now is that one clinical pass that De Bruyne offers. The splitting of the defense with a curve on it to catch a player like Holland in stride. And Holland has been producing without him, which has been great to watch. But it's it's missed. He is very missed. I think that's a great take. And I'm just watching the game... Um... On Saturday, I kind of had a similar thought. Like, if they had De Bruyne, this game probably ends 3-1 to City um, just because of how clinical he is and how, how much he elevates his game in, in, in the biggest spots, uh, particularly against Liverpool. I guess last year he was unbelievable. And even the, the game two years ago at the Etihad, he just dominated from, from the word go. Um, not, not taking anything away from Julian Alvarez, who is, you know, a very good player in his own right, but he just doesn't, he doesn't make you, you know, clench up in fear when he's standing over a free kick or when he's got the ball yeah. in the right half space, the way that De Bruyne does. Again, not trying to bash him in any means. I think he's a great player. Just, you know, De Bruyne is really just on that that upper echelon of of talent, you know, worldwide. Um, and I, I agree I, I, th that. I think that was a, a big loss. Um, I do I was going to ask. Sorry, go ahead. It's real quick, because we're talking about Holland. I don't want to get too far off subject here. You take Alvarez off. You drop uh, you drop the kanji back into the center center back position do an inverted center back when you have possession Rodri's the number six and then you have De Bruyne right behind Holland is it as seamless as that when he comes back yeah pretty much right I mean I mean yeah there, there's a lot of moving parts with I mean last time De Bruyne played he had a a very different team you know I, I don't want to say last time he played a couple games with the current squad but De Bruyne is used to having players like Mahrez Gundogan and, you know pe people of quality up top so I, I don't think it'll be as easy for De Bruyne to fit into the new the new formation, the new tactic that he's going to put in when he comes back, because we all know Pep and his evil genius way of setting the weirdest lineup possible. Well, but, I mean, he did you know, a, in he did a three two four one. He's been playing this three two four one for a little bit now, and Silva is almost acting as a a, a further wide left player where where Doku overlaps essentially him, and he's he kind of occupies that space of less left center, which I I always right. feel is Dude, interesting, I, I, but. I always forget. Has De Bruyne played a game with Doku yet? I mean, they could no. light up. They no, could light up the sorry. front with the dribbling and passing between the two of them. They haven't. But yeah. What were you gonna say, Sean? Um, no, I was. I was just gonna say the other thing was uh, is Lee Dixon an idiot? Because there was there was the first <laughs> the first Akanji one, and I agree with Kyle. Shocking. Um, I just don't think you can foul the goal. Like you can't put your arm on the goalie and pull on his arm. I get like it, it's it was pretty soft, but it's still a foul. The second time, Akanji literally just pushes Allison over the goal line, and they call oh, yeah, a foul. Yeah, Lee yeah. Dixon's like, "How is that a foul?" I'm like, when have you ever seen someone just bully the goalie, <laughs> bulldoze the goalie over the line, and they call it a goal ever? Like this man played professional football for Arsenal. He's been commentating <laughs> for twenty years. I want him to to name me the moment 
where that was loud. I'm like, my cortisol spiking through the roof. <laughs> like, what is this guy talking about? We're we're down one we're down one nothing already. He's trying to make it two nothing on the, the I'm I would have lost my mind if that was called the goal. Um <laughs> but just quickly after that was was the injury to to Diogo Jata and I think kind of a, a a point where the game and the momentum changed a little bit was the introduction of Graven Birch who came on for Curtis Jones and then Diaz on that left. Diaz created more width um, coming on for Jata, and then Gravenberch was was to me was excellent. Um, he basically, you know, Liverpool, like I mentioned, really struggled in build up with City's press and trying to break through it. And Gravenberch was just like, "Fine, I'll do it myself," and just kind of carried the ball from the defensive third into into uh, City's half of the field. Um, and the, if you look at the goal that Trent scored, it starts at the beginning with a, mm-hmm. a save from Allison. The ball gets played out to Gravenberch on the on the left hand side of the Liverpool defensive box, and he just drives all the way up the field. I think he rinses. I think it's Rodri, uh, might have been Ake, one of the two of them. Then you know whatever the ball comes in gets across to Trent or to Mo. Mo lays it off to Trent, and a great run from Gakpo to pull the defender with him to allow Trent to run into that space, kind of un undeterred. Like Kyle said, top notch finish, um, and yeah, that that basically ends us up you know, one, one and, uh, sharing the points. I think that was the biggest mistake I've seen man city do on a defensive regathering of position this season, mainly because that space was wide open. Oh, Gapco did that great run to pull, drag the defender out, but there was not a central presence and Trent, you know, coming from that right side, being able to be at the top of essentially the, the half, the semicircle on top of the box wide open without anyone around him within 10, 15 yards is that's where Rodri would be if it was the four, uh, if it was the four in the back, the number six right there. And then you have De Bruyne up, but you would have some people dropping back. I mean, you had Silva who played the full 90. No one, and we didn't mention this, Man City didn't use a single sub. This goal came late in the game where Fernando Silva, who's later in his years, probably didn't have the legs to get back all the way. But that's essentially the position and that space that he should be occupying during a quick counter that Liverpool were able to do. And Liverpool had the space and the time for Trent Alexander-Arnold to put in a, a fantastic goal. And you make and I, a, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and the last thing I'll say is I, I've I've been saying it, I think, for the past couple of weeks now, not just to get on your good side uh, as of late, Sean, but Trent Alexander-Arnold, the ability he has to pinpoint passes and then essentially pinpoint this goal like one of his passes is incredible. He is really, really impressing me that the second half of last season and this season so far. But uh, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Pep not making a sub. I was screaming at the TV. I wanted Graylish on that field immediately he was sick. second half it was, he was sick. sick he pulled he out the game he pulled out yeah what a bitch and that that's well, the that, thing like that takes what i decided. i was waiting for him to come on because in my mind i'm going who's our best winger that plays defense yep. and that would be jack Grealish. yeah he's a workhorse but and the, you know what he comes on fresh legs i don't know trent gets up the field like that i don't know but, like the game would be different what but about john without, stones rico lewis I yeah mean, rico i'm just saying even without like Grealish, six, i like, mean dude to not make one sub i'm pretty sure liverpool used all of them they did. Guess what? All. Their fresh legs won the game, or not won the game, but it got them a point. Yeah. No, I definitely. I so. think. I think the like you said, the subs definitely played a big part um, in, in Liverpool kind of regaining control of the game a bit. Um, we talked about Who obviously was the- Oscar Bob. Who the hell is Oscar Bob? He's a he's a young guy at uh, um for City, I think. Yeah, he's a they right said, winger. I think I th- read something. Twenty years old. To be the next De Bruyne, which is high praise oh, to say the like least. Um, <laughs> Bob, Oscar I mean, Bob, elite, elite Premier League name I've ever heard. Good old Oscar Bob. It sounds like yeah. a, a name of, like a seven-year-old made up in the, in kindergarten. They're like, "What's your name?" Is Oscar Bob, and starts <laughs> giggling. I'm sorry to derail what you were saying, Sean, but I just had no idea who that was, and I thought it needed its airtime. No, big shout-out to... You can't just bring up Oscar Bob and just leave it at that. Nah, we can't just (laughs) gloss over Oscar Bob like that. Um, But no, I just... We we talked about De Bruyne being out injured. I think, um, you know, a guy who's going to have an impact the next time these teams run run into each other, hopefully if he's fit, is Thiago. 
Um, I think if you look at the the recent years where Liverpool's had success, you know, last year at Anfields, um, they beat them in the FA Cup, and they also there's got to be another win somewhere along the way since Thiago came in. I just think his composure, his ability to switch and play and just dictate the tempo of the game was missed, uh, particularly in build-up, like I talked about, how Liverpool really struggled. So, you know, if he can get back and fit, I think Liverpool can really push for the second half of the season. But if, you know, if he's not, if he just doesn't come back, then I think, you know, City's gonna it's going to be City and Arsenal. Um, you know, just a little bit of a look ahead. Yeah, I mean... I think it's a great way to segue into next weekend's games, but we have what we have for the first time in the English Premier League in a while. And here on the podcast, we can say we have at the moment an EPL state of mind title race where all three of our teams are heavy contenders for this title. And each of us besides Liverpool who will not, I don't think it will, we'll, we'll be able to say this for much longer, but each one of our teams has been at the top of the table so far this year. And I think Liverpool has a shot of, you know, swinging around with us, whether that be in the first for a week and back and forth, like Man City and Liverpool did years ago, but it is an EPL state of mind title race, which is extremely exciting. So maybe we'll have to do a little EPL wager um, by the end of the season and the victor can choose some punishments or something like that. I mean, I'm happy to do that with you. We all know Pep Guardiola after the Christmas break. Man doesn't yeah. lose. Yeah, it's uh, it don't remind us. But also, can I we think... shout out Aston Villa? I mean, I'm looking at the table now. They're just casually sitting in fourth, two points off the top. Casually, <laughs> just un- yeah, two un- points. Unbeknownst to anyone else, but very, very unheard about. Aston Villa, one win away from leading the Premier League. Right. If now. if only we had talked about them earlier in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I. I, I... <laughs> I did say at the beginning of the season, I was not expecting it to be this good, but we were, you know, waxing Brighton all last season and they've really fallen off the map here. But before the season started on my outlook, I had, I think Villa is going to be the new Brighton. And so far, I I think they've been Brighton 2.0 and um, it will be really exciting to see what they have coming down the line. But of course, one of the most exciting things that's coming down the line is their next match, which we'll talk about shortly well it's actually the following match we get into december which gets really really hot and heavy in the holiday season with the amount of games we're going to play so epl state of mind will be giving you guys our look aheads on a more regular basis every episode i think we'll probably pop another one out next monday but we're going to take a quick break here and we'll talk about next week's look ahead You know, it's been a little while since we were able to dive into so many games that happened over the weekend. And to be honest with you, it was probably the first time I, I know, Sean, you and I were talking about it. I don't think I've watched so many English Premier League games in one weekend than I was able to over Thanksgiving break. One, because I was still on in a turkey coma, but it was it was extremely exciting. And there's another action-packed weekend upon us this weekend. And then more midweek games coming up, and uh, including Champions League this week weekend games and then midweek English Premier League games next weekend but we have a good look ahead for everyone here today and the first and foremost is the Battle of United Newcastle United versus Manchester United at St. James's Park so Sean why don't you take us through your predictions here and your kind of look ahead sure so sixth and seventh place right now both teams I would say have been a little bit underwhelming to start the year considering they both finished in the top four last year um and they're looking to close that gap on Champions League qualification. Obviously, we talked about Villa, we talked about Liverpool and and uh, and City. You know how they've played to start this year. This game is huge for for both teams. Um, this this fixture was, I think, in April of last year. Newcastle won two nothing. We've talked at nauseum about how tough it is to win at St James's Park. Um, obviously, the the depth in both squads are going to be tested. They have big games in the Champions League midweek. And then also this weekend, um, I'm going to take Newcastle United to win this game. Uh, I just think Manchester United has been riding their luck a little bit. And I, I at home, I'm going to lean towards the Magpies. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, uh, like you said before, Manchester United is one weekend away from a cataclysmic collapse. And I wow. think Newcastle. What Newcastle, a word. Uh, thank you. Thanks for saying that five This guy can't pronounce Nathan Ake, but he can pronounce cataclysmic. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think you're spot on. I mean, the last time they faced was November 1st, and Newcastle wiped the floor with them 3 nothing. April 2nd, 2 nothing. February 26th, United won 2-0. And then October 16th, uh, United tied 0-0 in, in one of the most uneventful games that I've seen. But I think right now, Newcastle should walk away with this. And if I had a lock of the week, much like my lock that hit last week, this would be mine. Oh, you just had to but, throw that one in there, huh? Yeah, of course, of course. Two, two, and two, two and two, man. So, yeah, I think. I'm, I'm, um, I'm back up. I think. I think Rashford scores. I, I, I do believe you're right. Newcastle wins this game. I mean, it, they beat Chelsea four to one. Oh, but Chelsea had a red card. Yeah, but before that red card, they were absolutely gobsmacking that team. It wasn't even close. But Rashford is a player, in my opinion, very similar to Roberto Firmino, where he gets elevated threefold when the fans are on his side. When he's feeling it and the fans are feeling it, that player is unstoppable. So, yeah, I, I do believe you guys are correct. Newcastle will take this win, but look for a Rashford goal to get slotted in. He's he's back on the scoring sheet as of this weekend, and the vibes in Manchester are through the roof. They're going to be chanting that man's name. Yeah, it would be a good way to start December, a very busy schedule for them all. But another team that has a difficult fixture, maybe not anymore because of the injuries that Tottenham Hotspur has had as of late, but it's your team. It's Manchester City versus Tottenham Hotspur at the Etihad. Um, what you have here, Kyle? What's your what's your feelings? Um, I, I think Manchester City wins this one pretty pretty sound. Uh, you, I mean, you got to watch out for Kulisevsky. He's scored in three of the last three matches against City, and I mean, Spurs have taken three of the last four matches against City with a different manager. Bing, hundred percent new manager walking into the Etihad. You're gonna get smacked especially in the form that they're in. Also, Man City just dropped their first points at the Etihad since 2022 this last weekend. Their fans are going to be the 12th man. They are going to ensure this victory. They need the points. There's a title race now. We might as well be in fourth place. Second and fourth place is differed by one point. So if you're not in first, you're in last. That's Pep's mindset. He's, he's going to come out fighting with the best lineup possible. There's going to be no, no beating around the bush. It's going to be a... I would think a pretty sound win, maybe a three nothing win. I mean, they have lost five of the last eight against Spurs, so that is that is an interesting stat to consider. But obviously, the Spurs team, I think, doesn't have the ability to throw out the lineup that they really need to put out against this Manchester City team. Sean, what do you think about this game coming up? And then why don't you go ahead and take it to the Grand Potter extravagant extravagant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're feeling I, I it after cataclysmic, uh, huh? I got uh -huh. a cataclysmic <laughs> <laughs> extravaganza for us versus Tran Chelsea versus Brighton. Dude gets sure. one so, four-syllable word and has to bust out a five-syllable right afterwards. <laughs> I, I think uh, I would agree with Kyle. I think uh, City will likely walk away with the three points in that game. Kulu, like we talked about before, in the eight should be an interesting wrinkle. Um, and, uh, and I'll be interested to see kind of what the, the Spurs lineup looks like with Basuma back into the fold. Um, but yeah, I do expect City wins that game. And then, like you said, the, the Graham Potter extravaganza, Chelsea v. Brighton at Stamford Bridge. Brighton is coming off their first win in their last five matches. We've talked about their struggles this year, being able to cope with European football and then also, you know, back on the domestic front. But they did get back in the win column with a victory over New Nottingham Forest. And they're going to be fired up to play. They're playing against Moises Caicedo, who forced his way out, and Robert Sanchez, their former goalkeeper, who's now the goalkeeper at Chelsea. Um, I I think I like Brighton in this game. Um, they've had pretty good success against Chelsea. They they've they're undefeated against Chelsea in their last five. They won both fixtures home and away last year um, against Chelsea. And Chelsea's down. Reese James, like we mentioned, he got two yellows against Newcastle. And then Mark Kukurea got a fifth yellow card for descent, which means he's out for this game. So you have Malagusto, and I'm not really sure at left back, uh, left back for this one. Um, I could see Brighton getting off the schneid again and, and keeping it rolling and win another game here. But interested to hear what you guys have to think about this game. Yeah, I think I mean they haven't won out of the last two appearances at at Stamford Bridge. They're one for three. 
at Stanford Bridge in the last appearances. But I, I do think Chelsea, if they show up the way they did against Newcastle, I think Brighton can can run through the defense on this one. Um, I think this will be a close game. I think this will be a very difficult game to call. You know, Chelsea, I don't think they'll be able to get it done with Nicholas Jackson up top. I think Brighton has a solid defense that will be able to handle them with Lewis Dunk, although I think he might be suspended. So that's a big loss, actually, for Brighton. That's one to keep in mind. Um, I don't know. This one's a toss-up for me. I think it could either way because I don't think Brighton's as predictable as they were last season, and Chelsea is just Chelsea. So you have no idea which team is going to show up. I mean, I'm going so I'm I'm to be the big, think? the big devil on this one. I think Chelsea wins this one straight up. I mean, we're we're talking about a team that couldn't score a goal to save their life in October, or I'm sorry, August and September. But going off their last, you know, take away the the four one loss to Newcastle with the red card, their last seven games they've scored two four two 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 four four. They are finding the back of the net more than any other team in the Premier League right now. That's just how it is. Sterling's finding his thing. This new manager's it's helping out. Brighton's not in the form they should be. They've lost a ton of games lately. And Chelsea is on the up and up. I think Chelsea wins this one, like pretty pretty nicely. I don't know. I think I think Sean might be onto something. And I think a player to watch out for here is is Matoma. I think with the outside backs not being the first choice for Chelsea, I think Matoma is going to cause a lot of issues. He has created the most big chances for Brighton um, with four, and I think he probably gets another two in this game. Um, so we'll see. And, and, you know, Brighton also haven't lost in their last six matches. They haven't won in a little while, but they haven't lost in their last six matches, which, um, which is pretty big for them. So, I mean, I think this one will be interesting to watch. I think it will for, for sure. But, um, why don't we go ahead and that's premier league matches that is. So why don't we go ahead and get to your lock of the week since this one's kind of, a, a toss-up here, Kyle. So who who, or what are you going to bring us this weekend? James, you mentioned earlier that it's a rare state in the EPL state of mind where all three of the teams are fighting for the title. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to toss out a three-way parlay for Liverpool, Arsenal, and Man City to all win. All these games are winnable. I think Man City over Spurs. I think what is Liverpool's got Sean Fulham. Fulham. Fulham, and then it's Arsenal Wolves. I mean, those are three very winnable games. You parlay the three of those, you're looking at plus 102 odds. It's it's pretty much one-to-one at that point. I think if anything messes up that parlay, it's going to be Man City. Um, whether or not Spurs are on the hottest win streak, I mean, they put the ball in the back of the net five times or, f- you know, four times that game. Sun had a hat trick of goals taken away. I do think that ball will hit the back. I mean, I I called 3 nothing City. I'm going to take that back, 3-1. I think the ball hits the back of the net at least once from Spurs. So, you know, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, they're all going to catch the dub. That is the lock of the week, 100%. All right. Well, let's see if you can kind of get a little bit closer to 500. Uh, your current record is 6-0. Yeah, I think it's one and three. Is it one and three? Sean, you're sitting at two and two, and I'm at two and two. No, so one and this three. will be, that can't yeah. be. no, yeah, impossible. I think so. That would make me the ultimate. Well, no, we we have one. Someone has done it one more time because if we've all done it four times, quick math here, that'd be twelve. Unless we missed the lock of the week, one of them, which I'm sure we probably have. But um, actually, Sean, are you three and two? Have you done uh, it three times? No, I I'm a, five times. I think I'm two and three because I had a loss. You know, we will do I our research on the state of mind, and we will get back to you guys as yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we just keep a running tally in the yeah. sheet going forward. That's on me. So bad podcasting moment. That's right. We we we, we tend to only keep track of the ones that we win because we Correct. don't really feel like talking about the losses. I have at least one. I think this. I know yeah, that you one. have at least one. At least one. I think I think so. Well, you you've been pretty dicey with the parlays, but I think this might be one of your most solid parlay options, and it just happens to be each one of our teams, uh, which has happened. I think only one other time this season where we each have won our games on the weekend at the same time. About to be two, so, James. It's about to be about two. to be two. About to be two. So without further ado, I think this parlay of a podcast this week was a home run, and I'm excited to bring everyone more info. Once the Champions League game, Europa League games this week are complete, this weekend's fun and extravagant games are on way, and then even next week we're going to have another midweek game for the EPL. 
So make sure you stand by. And until next time, everyone enjoy the rest of their week. Thank you.